Well, we are starting a new series uh, called Connect, and um, in this uh, time, we celebrate that Jesus um, is God connecting with us, that in Jesus Christ, God is connecting with us as human beings. And we're going to spend some time exploring the wonder of that and the majesty and the, and, and the splendor of how it is that the God of the universe would connect with us mere mortals. At the same time, though, we're going to talk about uh, what it means for us to connect with others flowing out of that relationship with God. Uh, our theme for this year is commissioned, and we've talked about going out to be a blessing to the people around us. In order to do that, we need to connect with the people around us. And as we gathered together in the summer, a bunch of leaders in this congregation, we had a conversation about what this means. One of the questions that came up was, how is it that you actually connect with the people around you in a way that's meaningful, uh, in a way that's deep, in a way that gets to the core of who we are as people and brings in our faith? And so we want to talk a little bit about that. We're going to use Jesus as our model. Jesus connects with us. And then how do we connect with the people around us. So to get started on that, I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to John chapter 1. We already read this through this morning, and so we're going to kind of glance off it and go to a couple other places. But John chapter 1, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We've got a number of them that we can hand to you. In the Bible that we hand out, it's page 758. And if you want to keep that Bible, please do. If you don't have one and you need a Bible, please go ahead and take that one with you. But we are in John chapter 1. Now, this is a pretty important topic, this idea of of connecting. I've been doing some reading on the, uh, the internet and the effects of the internet on our brain, and, and one of the books I came across was called uh, Alone Together. Interesting title, Alone Together. And what it's talking about is how uh, we, we have this sort of superficial sense that we're connecting with people through the internet, but at the end of the day, what it is creating a lot of times is an illusion of connection, but the real, true, human, dynamic connection is not going on there. So, you know, when you're done getting off Facebook, do you ever say, wow, it was really great to hang out with y'all? You know, you don't feel that necessarily. There's a kind of a, there's an illusion of connecting, but, but it's not the full thing. Now, that's not to say that there's no place for it, but I think if it's to replace the real human contact that's possible through everything that God has given us, then it's missing something. And so it's a complicated and important subject, this idea of connecting with others. Uh, and a, apart from the internet, just, uh, you know, the issues of busyness and and our time consciousness, all these things factor in when we think about connecting with others. And so we want to ask, what does it mean to really truly connect during this series with people uh, in a meaningful way? And uh, how, can we, how can we create a, 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 that possibility more and more in our lives? And the way we're going to do that is we're first of all going to look at the journey of Jesus, because Jesus is God connecting with us. Jesus is God connecting with us. And so we're going to look at the journey of Jesus and then out of that, we're going to be looking at our opportunity that comes from uh, understanding who Jesus is and connecting with him. So the question I want to start with this morning is where does Jesus begin? Where does Jesus begin? It's a little bit of a trick question because we find as we look through Scripture that the birth of Jesus is, is, is not so much the beginning of Jesus as the opening of a new chapter in the life of Jesus, now, let me explain a little bit what I mean by that. Jesus exists eternally. That's what the Scripture tells us, and we read that in, in John 1. So if we look at that again together, and, and we're put on your, your, your scriptural running shoes. We're going to go through a couple of different verses today. And so I want to get, get this is a big picture kind of a sermon where you see the big picture 
A lot of it will be familiar to you. Um, but first of all, Jesus exists eternally. That's what we see in Scripture. In John 1, uh, we read this already, just the first few verses. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. In the beginning, right from the very beginning, was the Word. And in, in this context, the Word is referring to Jesus Christ. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So Jesus was there in the very beginning. We turn over a few chapters, and if you want to do that with me, uh, into John chapter 8, John chapter 8 in verse 57. And Jesus is having a debate with um, the religious leaders, and he's talking about Abraham, and, and he says this incredible statement that Abraham rejoiced to see the day of Jesus. And the Jewish leaders are very confused by this, and, and they're very upset by it. And in verse 57, they reply, So the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Now, this happens a number of places in the Gospel of John. It's a powerful statement of the eternal existence of God. We sang about that in the, 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 the song in Spanish that we sang, that God is the great yo soy, the great I am, right? And Jesus is claiming that for himself in this text. And so he is eternally existing. So they picked up, and they don't like that he would say this, so verse 59, so they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. And we could look at one more in this light. If we turn over to Colossians chapter 1, verse 15, and, and these are sort of the standard scriptures that we talk about in terms of Jesus existing eternally and his divinity. Verse 15 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is Jesus Christ. Before all things, and in him all things hold together. Now, so the birth of Jesus is less of a beginning as it is the beginning of a new chapter in the life of the eternal life of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it, it's neat to juxtapose this grand statement about who Jesus is with the very earthy statement that we have, for example, in the beginning of the Gospel of Luke. So we turn over to Luke 2, verses 4 through seven, and we'll put this up for you. You can just read it. And Joseph also went up from Galilee and from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. So we, 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 we come out of the sort of the incredible concept of this being who exists before all time and through whom all the earth and the universe is created. And all of a sudden, we're in a very earthy scene with a young man and his wife, and they're betrothed, and she's pregnant, and it's very sort of plain and normal and earthly. Verse 6, And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. 
Philippians 2 explains what's going on there. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So we see that Jesus is both divine and human, both. And some of us react to that. We feel like, okay, how can this divine being also be human? Um, And we need to remind ourselves that there's nothing anti-God about human flesh. What's anti-God is sin, but not human flesh itself. So that in the Garden of Eden, before Adam and Eve sinned, they were still human beings. It's not necessary to sin to be a human being. Yet on the other hand, all human beings have sinned, right? Except for Jesus Christ. So, so these two are meshed together, and it's hard for us to get our minds around it. It's an amazing thing. Um, one scholar I was reading this week said that really it may, the, the incarnation may be the, the, the most incredible miracle in the entire Bible. You know, you've got the parting of the Red Sea, you've got creation itself, um, you've got the resurrection, but of all those, it may be the incarnation that is the most wonderful and incredible miracle in all of the Bible, that Jesus is both God and man. And we, we strain to try and figure out how to explain it. And we have analogies, and they all fall short. Um, Calvin had one, though, I think is fairly wonderful. He says that in the same way that, an eye, that two eyes see as one, although you can close one and you can still see, you can close the other and you can still but the way that they join together to see, to see one, the same way in which the eyes join together to see as one, so does the Father, do the Father and the Son join together in one person. So there's this, this, this perfect unity between the two. I love what Augustine said. He said, Man's maker was made man, that he, ruler of the stars, might nurse at his mother's breast. That the bread... Jesus referred to as the bread, might hunger. That the fountain, thirst. The light, sleep. The way, be tired on its journey. The truth might be accused of false witness. The teacher, be beaten with whips. The foundation, be suspended on wood. That the strength might grow weak that the healer might be wounded, that life itself might die. The most amazing miracle is the incarnation, Jesus becoming man. Now, in history, we've gotten off track with the incarnation, understanding this idea of Jesus being both God and man. We've gotten off on one side or the other. Usually what happens is we elevate the human side or we elevate the divine side of Jesus. Those, that's how we get off the rails. Some in history, um, the heresies in history, have gone to one side or the other, elevating where they're... Now, just quickly, how do we elevate the humanity of Jesus? Well, we say things like, he's a, he's a religious genius. But we don't go beyond that. We say that he was very close to God. 
or we say that he's just a great teacher. And so we're elevating the human side of Jesus, but diminishing the divine side. Or on the other side, when those who would go off the rails by elevating the divine side, what happens there? Well, there's a disdain, and we can understand this to some extent. We may have this impulse, but there, there crops up in us from time to time this disdain for the humanity of Jesus because we want him to be that great. We want him to be so magnificent and above and different that we think, oh, if he's got flesh, it just tarnishes who he is, and we don't want that. So people down through history have got caught in that trap, and they have gone off the rails in seeing Jesus by elevating his divinity and diminishing his humanity. Carl Jung said, um, but Jesus is but one expression of universal processes of the creativity of the consciousness. He's sort of an archetype, one expression. But he sort of removes him from his humanity. This is coming from, by the way, and a lot of this, I have to give credit to Donald Bless, who has a wonderful, in his theology, systematic theology, has a wonderful section on the Incarnation. And he, he, he brings out a lot of these quotes of, of different people and the, and the ways that we've gotten off the rails in thinking about Jesus. And he, he has another one. This is uh, Maharishi Mahashyogi, the guy who uh, in, was the founder of Transcendental Meditation. He says, I don't think Christ ever suffered or Christ could suffer. It's a pity that Christ is talked of in terms of suffering. So his humanity in that case is diminished and his divinity is accentuated. And so we have to be careful that we don't fall on either side of those because either of them result in an impoverished view of, of Christianity and who Jesus is. We miss something very important if we fall to either side. And as I was working through this and trying to summarize, I think that what we can say with the, with the humanity of Jesus and the divinity of Jesus, what we can say is that, that in Jesus, we see that God is with us in our suffering. He's with us in our suffering and before us in our victory. Both of those. He's with us in our suffering and before us in our victory. In other words, we follow him into victory, but we don't, we don't follow him into victory before he enters in with us in our suffering. And this shapes tremendously how we approach God. Just in our daily walk with Jesus Christ, as we think about our relationship with God, it has to be shaped by his, both his humanity and his divinity. And, and sometimes you encounter struggles and suffering and things don't make sense and you're confused and, and uh, Christmas is coming and you've got family and, 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 and maybe you're in financial trouble or whatever it is. The, 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 the issues come and you need to know that in that moment, Jesus... God himself understands what you're going through. You need to know that he's with you in your suffering. And he is. He knows exactly what it's like. He's been there. In fact, he's, he's delved deeper into suffering than any of us ever have. And so we can know that no matter where we are on the suffering scale, Jesus has been further. And God knows. God knows. We don't have to skip over the the pain and the struggle that we face in the moment, we can know that God is with us in that. And yet, if we were just to reside there forever, that would be hopeless, wouldn't it? And so in Christ, we see that God goes before us in victory. He's with us in suffering. He's before us in victory. Because Jesus Christ went to the cross. That's where he suffered more than any of us have ever suffered. But that he didn't stay in the cross. God raised him from the dead, which is his victory. And the proclamation of the gospel is the victory of Christ is also our victory if we attach ourselves to Christ in faith. So he meets us in our suffering, but he doesn't leave us there. 
He gives us the promise of victory, and He shows us so we can have confidence that the victory is ahead. Was, my parents are here, which has been great to have them here with us over Thanksgiving. And uh, they're right here, if you want to greet them afterwards. Um, <laughs> it's kind of you. Um, so we were having a conversation, and, and my dad was telling me about the funeral of his, he did the funeral of his grandfather, and my great-grandfather, and he was telling me about a hymn that they sung, which was my great-grandfather's favorite hymn, and I had missed this hymn. I don't know how I missed this hymn. Probably I was like those other kids I was talking about, just asleep in church when I was a kid. Um, and so I missed this hymn, but it's called, O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. O Love That Will Not Let Me Go. And just the title itself speaks of this pursuit of God in Jesus Christ. He's coming after us to be with us in our suffering and to be before us in his victory. And, and, and there's a verse in there that leapt out to me as I was pondering it this week. Um, and let me read it to you. It says, O joy that seeks me through the pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain. That's it right there, isn't it? The rain. The suffering of this life. The human existence that we all slog through. The rain. But through it, there's the rainbow. And so he says, I trace, what is it? I trace the rainbow through the rain. Jesus is with us in the rain, but he's before us in the rainbow. The promise. And feel the promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. That's the victory in Jesus Christ. And, and, And that's why it's so important for us to hold on to the whole story. That he is God and he is man. And he comes to us in that way. So that's the journey of Jesus. And I want to take briefly that journey and how does that journey and connecting with that journey in faith. And by the way, if you're, if you're here and you're, you're sort of questioning things of the faith and you're, just to, you're exploring Christianity, I want to just reiterate that if, if you want to connect with God, it happens through Jesus Christ. He went to the cross, human, to suffer and to die for our sin and on the heels of that was raised from the dead in victory as an emblem of the victory that lies ahead for us. And the way that you associate yourself with that glorious truth is by faith, by placing your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And so if you are in that journey, um, if, it's, if, if you're moving forward, and eventually it comes to that point where you, you make that decision to, to place your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And, and so we look for that to be, to be coming. And that's what you want to pray for, to understand that and come to that place where, where you can have that faith in Jesus Christ. But the journey of Jesus, and as we connect with Jesus in his journey, we then have an opportunity. We're sent, we're sent in the way that Jesus was sent um, from heaven. We are sent as well. Um, to be like Jesus is to pursue others in the way Jesus pursued us. That's what it means. To be like Jesus is to pursue others. And to do that, we have to connect with others. Just as God is connected with us, we connect with others. Uh, And the incarnation teaches us, the incarnation of Jesus teaches us something very important about how we connect to other people. Something very important. Now, Now think about this. Through Jesus, if you take the humanity and the divinity of Jesus, 
God connects to us both in similarity and in difference. You see that? He comes to us in similarity in His humanity. But He doesn't leave us there. He, he brings something different. His divinity. Which trans, has the power to transform our fallen humanity. So Jesus comes in similarity, but He also comes in difference. And when we go out into the world and we connect with people, Christian or non, we're just connecting with people, we come to them always in this similarity and this difference. And that's what we have to hold on to as we become connectors, is to hold on to the similarity and the difference. Now, some of us emphasize the similarity that we have with others. Okay? We're very open about our humanity and our struggles and our problems, and what that results in is people connecting to us. But sometimes we fail then to bring the, the faith into the mix, what God is doing that's different in our lives into the relationship, into the conversation. So we might connect really well. My wife is part of this book club in our neighborhood, and so she was meeting with um, the, the women in, in the book club, and somehow they got in this conversation about, you know, lots of families up and down the neighborhood, and, and, and when there's families, there's sometimes, uh, you might have noticed some yelling and stuff that takes place in the house. Um, and, and, and there's this funny conversation where somebody sort of mentioned about that and feeling like the neighbor must think they're absolutely crazy. And then, and then the next person said, oh, that happens to us too. You haven't heard us? And I said, no, we haven't heard you. And so what it turned into is sort of this neighborhood catharsis of everybody being able to say, yes, that happens in our house too. And, and, and like all the fear of, you know, somebody has heard what's gone on in our house was sort of erased as everybody said it all goes on. And so there's this connection that happens when we're, when we're open about who we are and the struggles that we face and the pain and the suffering that's, that's in our lives. And it helps us to be similar to the people around us. We're similar in our humanity and our brokenness with the people around us. And the result of that is, is people feel, they'll say things of, of the person who's good at connecting in their similarity. They'll say, well, he's one of us. Even if, even if he has a different faith, he's one of us. Um, or she's one of us. Even if they go to church on Sunday, um, still feel like she's one of us. Or um, People who connect, um, they have favor with the people around them. They're, they're, they're well-liked in that sense. But like I say, the, the struggle with only emphasizing the similarity is that we never bring in the faith and the gospel that has the transformative power. Just like if Jesus were only human, but he didn't bring the divine into the mix, we would be missing the power of transformation. And so as we connect with people, we need to, we need to be careful of that balance. Some of us lean to the side of emphasizing the difference between us and others. And so we fail to connect with the people around us because we're emphasizing how we're different. And there's a couple of things at root, I think, here. Sometimes it's, it's an issue of pride where maybe we are coming, rather than like Jesus who came in as a baby in the manger, we're trying to come to people above as the ones who have it figured out or, or know. Or maybe we see that our coworkers or the people, our neighbors or people, they do things, or other people in the church, they do things that we never would do, right? And so we look down on them. So we're coming from above in a, in a place of pride. And the problem with that is that it's, it's a false self-assessment. Because at the end of the day, if you peel back the layers, you will find in every human being a great deal of sin and brokenness. And all we can ever do is pretend that we've got it figured out. 
because we don't. And maybe we don't struggle with a particular thing that that person who drives us crazy struggles with. Maybe, maybe we don't, but it's probably something else that we drive somebody else crazy with, right? Um, because that's the nature of, of human beings. So, so, so we've, we've got to shatter that. Just like Jesus, that verse from Philippians talks about his humility. He just came as, as in, his, in his similarity. We've got to shatter that, that difference, like we're better, or, or we've got to get rid of that completely and not have that. We've got to get rid of the pride and come to people in humility. But sometimes it's not so much the pride that, that emphasizes the difference is because it's, it's, something, it's, something, it's kind of a misguided advocacy for, for Christianity. We feel like oftentimes we have to pre- protect Christianity from our negative example. You know what I'm saying? So we feel like if the people knew that we had faith, it would reflect poorly on Jesus because we make mistakes. And so we blow it. And so we're afraid to be honest about who we are because we're afraid that we'll reflect poorly on Jesus Christ. And so we, we bring this facade that everything is together and we have it all figured out, even though underneath the surface we don't. But we're so afraid of, of not honoring Christ. You know, if I tell them who I really am, if I let people in on who I really am and my brokenness and my suffering and my sin then that's going to reflect poorly on Jesus. And I don't want to reflect poorly on Jesus. And so I'll just hide it all. I'll just keep it under a bushel. I'll put this facade in front of us. We watched uh, with my parents, my mom's favorite movie, or one of them, is What About Bob? And uh, I'm not sure what that means. I've been thinking about that, that my mom's favorite movie is What About Bob? And whether I need to get some counseling as a result of that uh, myself. But... um, no, we watched What About Bob? And it's a story of, of this psychologist with this, this uh, client who latches onto him and he, he won't let go. And even when Bob tries to go on vacation and Bob's this, I mean, excuse me, the, the psychologist is this wonderful psychologist who's written a book and he's on the, you know, everything's upward for him. And, and here comes Bob, who's his client. And even he finds out where he is on vacation and he shows up and, uh, he, and, and the psychologist confronts him, and he said, you know, this is totally inappropriate that you are here on my vacation. And Bob says, says ooh, uh, you're angry. And, and he, says, he says, I don't get angry. Um, meanwhile, there's steam coming out of his ears, you know what I mean? He's just angry. And that's, that's kind of what we do, right? We, we, we have this, this sense of facade that we have to put up that we're Christians, and we, we do things a certain way, and I don't do this. Or I'm, and, because, and, and, and at heart of it, we want to protect something beautiful, which is the testimony of God and, and what Jesus could do. So there's a, a good impulse under that, but, but it ends up coming out in the wrong way, and it, it ends up distancing us from people rather than enabling us to connect with. And that's what we want to get at here, is to be able to connect with people. And to be able to connect with people, we've got to let go of that facade. And let me just kind of say it this way. Um, So Jesus does not need our pretend goodness, okay, in order to, right? He does not need our pretend goodness in order to make progress in the world. So can we just stop that? Because he doesn't need it. He doesn't need our pretend goodness, in order to accomplish his goals in the world. And so you can be free. I mean, it's kind of you to do that for Jesus, right? To pretend that everything's good, but he doesn't need our pretend goodness. Because here's the thing. At the, very end, at the end of the day, Jesus gets the victory either way. 
when we're, when we're broken and people see our brokenness and they see that in the midst of our brokenness, the gospel has come and we have been forgiven and God's favor is upon us and there's grace, Jesus gets the victory. And if by some miracle of God, Jesus empowers us to live out a life that is a blessing to others, that is good and powerful and wonderful, Jesus gets the victory. So in our failure and in our victory, Jesus gets the victory. And so we don't have to pretend. And we can, we can, we can be both of those at the same time. We can, we can acknowledge that, that we're fallen, broken people, but yet God is doing something special in us because of the powerful gospel. And what this does is this calls us to a radical honesty in our relationships with others. A radical honesty. To be who we are in our brokenness and our sin, and also to point to the fact that something radical is going on. Something divine is going on because of the gospel in our lives. And it's both of those. And there's no formula where you can just say, you know, 50% of the time, you know, come to people and tell them how terrible you are, and 50% of the time tell them how great you are. It's, it's just this flowing, if you're living your life with people and you're being unashamed about your failure and unashamed about your faith, both, then they will get the picture of the gospel. And, 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 I, and, I, and what I'm talking about is it sounds like I'm talking o- about only the people who are outside of the faith, but this is the same for the pe- in your home groups when you're meeting with, to be unashamed about your struggles and to be unashamed about your faith in the midst of it. That's what we're called to do, and that's how we connect because it's who we really are, and you can't connect. Just like on Facebook, you can't fi- really connect with the image of somebody that they have controlled and overmanaged you can't really connect with anybody when, when we're controlling and overmanaging the image. We can only really connect when we enter in to the messiness of who we really are. And that's what Jesus Christ did. He entered into the messiness of who we are. And that's how we connect. G.K. Chesterton says this. All true friendliness begins with fire and food and drink and the recognition of rain or frost. Each human soul has, in a sense, to enact for itself the gigantic humility of the incarnation. Every man must descend into the flesh to meet humankind, mankind. So we have an opportunity, and that opportunity is to descend into the flesh to meet humankind, the people around us. And it's messy, but it's glorious. Just like the incarnation was messy, but it was glorious. More glorious than just about anything you can imagine. And so I want to invite you this week and in this season to descend into the flesh to meet the people around you. And I want to invite you to um, to kind of come on a journey that we've been taking as a staff in the office. Before we pray, we pray for you every, every Tuesday. And we, we love it when you put in the prayer requests because it reminds us of things to pray for. But before we pray, what we've been doing is we've been sharing who's in your life, who are you connecting with these days. And we have just a little rubric that we use to remember how it is that we connect. Um, you connect first by praying for somebody, by asking them lots of questions, by looking for ways to bless them in the same way that Jesus Christ has been a blessing to us, by being transparent and sharing your story, warts and all, with people, 
and by telling, uh, telling them uh, what you believe, your faith, when the time comes, so that you don't fall off on either side of, of, of being emphasizing too much your similarity or too much your difference. Um, just to, to walk through that with people, to pray and to ask and to bless and to share and to tell. Um, that's how we connect with the people around us. And so I want to invite you this week to enter into that journey. This is the opportunity we have following in the heels of the journey of Jesus Christ, to enter into the lives of the people around us, to begin to pray for them, to ask them lots of questions about what's going on in their life so you can connect, and to bless them, to look for ways to bless them, and to share your story honestly, and then to tell them about the faith that is in you. And as we do that together, we will become the commissioned church that God has called us to become. We will be sent out and it won't be strained, and it won't be forced, and it won't be fake, but it'll just be real people whose lives have been really transformed, interacting with real people who need the God who is victorious. Would you pray with me? Lord, help us to step out in faith today, this week. Help us in our home groups to enter into relationship aware of our humanness and comfortable with it. Free to speak of what really is going on and and help us at the same time to bring the gospel, the victorious gospel into the midst of our relationships. Pray for our work environment. I pray for our neighborhoods. I pray for our our friends, the people we we, we enjoy hobbies with. All of these, Lord, I ask that that you would commission us to connect with the people that you've placed in our lives and that we would be celebrating together the wonderful opportunity that we have to, as G.K. Chesterton says, to descend into the flesh to meet the people around us, to participate in the continuation of the incarnation, the results of the incarnation, in the world around us. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.